to a scripture that we dealt with a while back because God has shown me something about it since then that I didn't know then. And it's in Mark chapter 9. In verse 14, it has to do with Jesus healing someone who was demon-possessed. But there's a lesson in this that I didn't recognize when I went through it. But I've since learned it because of one word in the Bible. There's a word in the Bible that is used one time, and that's all. And I'll share it with you when we get to it. But it has to do with teaching us the whole life since we're saved till we're face to face with Jesus. It, it has the key there to, to how we're to live all those years as Christians. And the important things from Jesus' angle. We're going to look at something this morning that looks pretty ordinary, and I dealt with it in a somewhat ordinary fashion when I dealt with it before. But I was looking at an entirely different reason for looking at it. And so we'll go through it this morning. I hope to show you as we get there how it works. But I'd first like to... to uh, For you to look at, at Jeremiah chapter 9, if you're that close, or just listen. Because in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Don't take pride in how smart you are. Don't brag about it. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. How strong you are. Let not the rich man glory in his riches or what all he has. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. I know some of you have desires to want to be spiritual. You have become a Christian and you want to go all the way. You want to have everything that God might have for you. And to be spiritual, from God's standpoint, one is right there. You don't brag about what you got. You brag about how well you know God. And God is in the business of teaching us who he is and what he thinks is things that we need to be concerned about. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14, John 
is writing to Christians. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 14 says, I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. He says, I'm writing to you guys because you know God. I have written unto you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. What would be the goal of a Christian? Number one, to be what God wanted him to be, what we saw in Jericho, in, in, in Jeremiah. And the other thing is in our lives, on a daily basis, to be able to overcome the influence that Satan has on your life. Because you can. How do I know this? Because it says so right here. There are people who have overcome the wicked one. They're so strong that he has no power over them. He can't tempt them because they won't listen. And here's what it says in verse 15. Love not the world. How do you overcome Satan? Love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world or Satan. It says in 12th chapter of Romans, you need to quit getting attracted to the world. He doesn't say, he says you're already getting attracted to the world. As you live and mature and grow older, there are things you see about this world that you really like. And that word up there, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, that word lust means things that you long for. And I chased that word down about three or four three or four times, to about 30 minutes of just studying that one word. And what it means is things that you keep on your mind, that when you settle down and your mind's not occupied with something at the moment, it goes back to that thing you're looking for. I mean, I'd really like to have that new car, or that new truck, you know, was really shiny, or I'd like to have a better house. Or if I could just wear some nice clothes like so-and-so, if I could just go to a nice restaurant and eat that really good food. I mean, we all have those things. And that's what John is saying right here. You can't do that if you're going to be spiritual. You just can't. Chapter 2 of 1 John. First John. 1 yeah. John, yes. Chapter 2 and verse 14. Love not the world. That's the overview. Love not the world. Don't be constantly talking about the best meal you ever had last week. 
Or how many people were impressed by the car that you now have, that you drove down the street in? I had a fellow tell me one time, well, I drive Mercedes because they last so long. I said, no, you don't. He was a leader in the church. He didn't appreciate it at all because I said that. I said, no, you don't. <clears throat> well, why would you say I don't? I said, because you trade them every two years. <laughs> I knew one fellow that kept a Mercedes 17 years. Now, there's a guy that buys a Mercedes because it lasts as long as it does. But let's face it, folks, most people, I mean, even teenage boys want a truck that everybody, all the other boys like when they drive down the road. You impress other people with what you have. That's what we're talking about here. And Jesus said, and John repeated, you can't be spiritual, truly spiritual, and love those kind of things. That's the things on your mind all the time. You just can't. The I will obeys, a fellow said one time, the I will obeys, the people who say, I'm going to obey God, they live forever. <laughs> you want to know who lives forever? Everybody that wants to do everything they can to be obedient to God. Now we turn to Mark chapter 9. This is familiar, should be familiar with you. There's three accounts of this miracle in the Bible. One's in Luke 9, one's in Mark 9, one's in Matthew chapter 17. And I changed stories this morning because this one in Mark is so much better than the one in, in Matthew. And I've been studying all three of them all week. But I didn't want to run too long. And this is the long, one of the long ones. But it says in verse 14 of Mark 9, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes were questioning them with them. When he came up to his disciples that morning, he found out that there was a crowd, and they were discussing something important with the, with the scribes. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed in running to him and saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question you have with them? What have you and these disciples been talking about? What is it so important? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Now, he didn't mean an ignorant spirit. He meant a spirit that won't talk. There are spirits that indwell people that can't hear and they can't talk either. And wheresoever he taketh him, he says, the spirit takes my son places. He teareth him, tears his skin, cuts him up, skins him up, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. That describes 
the, they fall, the epileptic, they fall down, they, they, they writhe around, and they foam at the mouth, and then they act like they're dead. I don't know whether you've ever seen one or not. I've seen several. And they're all the very same, happen the same, very same way. And I spoke to thy disciples, and they should cast him out, and they couldn't. This man says, I ask your disciples to please get this demon out of my child, and they couldn't do it. Well, it said in the 10th chapter of Matthew, in verse 1, that Jesus gave the power to his disciples to cast demons out of people when he sent them out. They had the power to do that. Now look, there's some similarities here. Jesus called his disciples. He chose them. Then he gave them power to do things. To cast out demons was one of the powers. He gave them a power to step on a poison snake and have the snake bite him and the poison not hurt him either. That was another thing he did. He gave them a lot of things. Now, do you relate to that? Jesus called you out. He called me out. He chose me. And he gave me salvation. That was free. It didn't cost me a nickel. And he also gave me the Holy Spirit to guide me and to make sure that I'm living right. Even if I'm out in the woods living by myself, I know how to make decisions for God, that God would be pleased with because the Holy Spirit is showing me. Then what else? He gave me spiritual gifts to equip me to do the things that God wanted me to do. He did with them also. So we find ourselves in a very close relationship with Jesus and the way he handled his disciples. Now he sent them out to cast out demons but this guy came back and said they couldn't cast the demon out of my son. The next thing that's said here is the thing that caught me. Verse 19. He answered and saith, O faithless generation, He's talking to his disciples. And he says they don't have any faith. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. What Jesus said was, look guys, I sent you out to heal people and to cast out demons. You come back And this man says, you can't do it. How long, he says, am I going to have to put up with you guys? I gave you this, but there's also something that you're supposed to do too. I don't give you everything. Part of it, you have to give me. And that's the part I understood from what Jesus said. How long have I got to put up with you guys? I've given you all this stuff to go do all these things for good works 
and you come back and you can't do it. So there must have been something that they weren't doing right. That speaks to me. God has given me all this stuff through Jesus Christ. What is it I can't do because I haven't made an effort to do it? Like he said. And I knew better. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tore the boy. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it it ago since he came unto the child? Jesus asked the father. And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. In other words, the demon's trying to kill my son. So far, we've been able to keep him from killing him. But that's his goal. If thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So he's asking the Father, Do you have enough belief that he can do that? People have come to me and asked me to pray for them about a particular thing before. And I asked the question, do you have anything in your life, sinful way, that would keep my prayer for you from being answered? No, I don't think so. I said, okay, then I'll give it a try. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe and help thy mind my unbelief. Please help me. Jesus waited until after the father asked him personally to do this before he decided he could have healed that young at any time. But he waited. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more unto him. And the spirit cried and tore the son again, and came out of him, and he was as one dead. Insomuch that many said he's dead. The people standing there watching this child have that fit and fall out, and he lay there dead, looking like he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now there was the situation. That was the miracle right there. Now, y'all know something about human nature. The disciples had been sent out in front of a lot of people to go and cast out demons. And they had just been in front of a whole crowd. The man had accused them of not being able to do what Jesus sent them out to do. I would say if I was in that crowd of 12 that was traveling with Jesus every day and I couldn't do something that he sent me to do, I'd be a little bit self, whatever you call it, embarrassed or whatever by it. Why couldn't I do it? Jesus sent me out to do it and then I couldn't do it. And when he was come unto the house, the crowd's gone, 
The miracle's over. Nobody but just Jesus and the disciples. When they came to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? Now look at what he says next. And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. You hear that? Prayer and fasting. I've read that a thousand times, I know. Never made an impression on me until last week. or longer than that, maybe three or four weeks ago, but it came to a place where Jesus was ready for me to teach it. Give yourself to fasting and prayer. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5, Give yourself to fasting and prayer that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. There's the word. It's used one time in the Bible. That's all. I had to look it up. It's self-control. Now we hear it used in medical terminology a great deal. Incontinency, that means you can't control yourself. You can't control your body functions. But generally speaking, it's a word for you can't control yourself. You have not enough control over yourself. What in the world does that have to do with being able to take a demon out of somebody? What it means is you don't have enough power to do that. You don't have enough power. If you were spiritual, you would have enough power to order that demon out of that person and he would come out. I've always wondered what would happen if I ran into a demon-possessed person and God told me to get him out of that guy. Could I do it? I mean, it's like they said, why couldn't, I mean, we said the same thing we did with the other. And this one didn't come out. When it's a strong enough demon and in a strong enough place, some people are not strong enough to call him out and command him to leave somebody. Why? Because they don't have enough self-control. What in the world has that got to do with anything? We said a minute ago that in God's eyes, if you want to be spiritual, you know about Him. You know and understand God. And what's the other thing? To overcome Satan. If you can't overcome Satan in this world, you will not be considered spiritual by very many people. And the people who can overcome Satan in this world and exhibit that in front of other people are known far and wide for those people who have overcome Satan. That's a big deal. Why can't you overcome Satan? Because you don't have enough self-control. 
Now understand this picture. Satan is traveling about, going to and fro in the world, seeking whom he may devour. What does that mean? He's trying to overcome you. He uses temptations to make you fall for it. He gets you to do things because you don't have enough self-control to keep from doing it. What are the things he gets you to do? The things in the world we just looked at, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So what keeps us from being spiritual? Something that I would not have connected with it at all is how much self-control we have as far as the world is concerned. Do we love the world? Do we enjoy the world? Is every third word out of our mouth something that we enjoy about the world? Or is it spiritual things? Is it godly things? Give yourself to fasting and prayer that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency or self-control. So if you fall for everything that Satan tempts you about and you get a target on your back, he's going to be around every time you turn around trying to tempt you because he knows you'll fall for it. What did, what did, did, did uh, uh, Miss Goodman say? When you've done all you can do to stand, just stand there. That's what he said in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. Stand. Put on the whole armor of God so you can stand. What does that mean? It means you don't run. When Satan comes after you, go back to the early part of Matthew in the first or second chapter when Jesus went to the wilderness and Satan tempted him. Jesus didn't run. He stood right there, looked Satan right in the face and gave him scripture. When Satan would tempt him, he'd give him scripture. Satan would tempt him, he'd give him scripture. Can you do that? Or if the devil got after you, would you turn and run? Well, apparently we run. Because <laughs> the people, most of the people that I see, I've prayed for guts to keep standing there because most everybody tries to get away from where they think the devil's bothering somebody. They don't want to be standing there. He says in James to flee temptation. You don't run from the devil. You flee temptation. You get away from his temptations, but you don't get away from him. You stand up against him. So why then is a very good reason why we're no more spiritual than we are. Because we fall for Satan's temptations. Every time I turn around, we're spending money on this, we're spending money on that, we're adding something to this, we're buying this new, we're doing that new. That's what we live for. And because of that, we're not spiritual like Jesus tried to teach us to be. If you can't control yourself, how can you use that authority on others? If you're falling for everything Satan is tempting you about, 
Why could you give someone the advice, don't fall for things that Satan are, are trying to get you to do? Because you're not strong enough to stand up to it yourself. Being able to control yourself from Satan's temptation is what Jesus considers power. To overcome Satan is to have enough spiritual power to withstand every temptation Satan and the world throws at you. Satan's victory over us depends on our lusts and how much control we have over the lust of this world. How many things in the world can you think of right now that you have really been wanting may even think you deserve them? Because I notice this, the thing that's got where it makes me so sick is all these lawyers on TV telling you about how you deserve this and you deserve that. You know they're appealing to Satan's temptations on your life, don't you? When they say that, because God said there's one thing you deserve. You deserve wrath for your sin and you deserve hell and death for your sin. That's what you deserve. But when they tell you you deserve this, that just cranks up the lust in you. They say, I deserve this. This government, <laughs> the government is trying to run so fast to find out what your needs may be so they can get ahead of your needs and supply it to you so you'll vote for them. That's the whole point of the thing. Is tempting you with free things from the government so you'll vote for the people that say you need those three things and you deserve them. Don't fall for that, people. Don't fall for that because they're appealing to your lustful side, the feel-good side. Well, it'd be real nice. I can remember one time my mom was having pedicures after she got over it. I said, Mother, you've never had pedicures. Why in the world would you go somewhere and have your toenails worked on? She said, well, the government gives it to you free. Why not? And she thought she was pretty cool because she was getting free toenail jobs. And I said, Mother, if you fall for that, you fall for some other stuff too. Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, is what he said. And we're to pray that. Be not anxious for your life, he says. What you shall eat and what you shall wear. And I added to it and what you shall drive and what you shall live in. And then I put over here, have the desire for that which impresses others. Isn't that what drives us so much? We don't, we want stuff we don't need that's going to cost us because we've got it. And the only reason we want it is because other people think we're cool because we got it. That is the poorest reason in the whole world to stick our neck out. And what do we do? 
we buy stuff, sign our name to a contract, we don't have to pay any interest until 2025, and then it's not going to be much, so we can get something now. So I can impress you with something that I don't even have the money to pay for. When you look at it that way, it seems pretty silly, doesn't it? But I'm telling you, we're caught up in it like you wouldn't believe. Shall I defend myself and my status? Do what now? Well, you don't know what that fellow called me. I have a perfect right to cuss him out like I did. He called me a so-and-so. James says you can't even do that. <laughs> you got to take it. If you take stuff that you don't have coming, that's the only reward you get in heaven. If you got what they're saying coming and you take it, you don't get a reward. A lot of stuff here to think about. We go our way every day and we stay pretty consistent and we learn some stuff so we get a little bit closer to God. We get a little bit better. And God wants us strong. But our desires for things we don't need. He said, don't you realize God knows you need all those things? But the only difference is God is going to give it to you when it's time and, 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 and won't destroy your, your connection with him instead of having it right now and not have to make a payment. I got to think about some of that stuff. You start making payments on it after it's wore out. How long does some of that stuff that they're building now last anyhow? We're in the throwaway generation. There was a time when you, there was a fellow down the road had a little shop. You can take a mixer to him and have it rebuilt. Now you throw it out the back door and go buy another one. But seek ye first the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, both about the same, and all these other things will be added to you. I remember one time Mama said, if you can ever get over being young and, have, and wanting everything, when you get to a place to where you don't want anything, then it don't take very much money to do you because you're not spending every dime you get your hands on before you get it in here. She said, when she was in her 70s, she said, I feel like a rich lady now because I don't want anything. When the money comes in from the check, the Social Security, I don't want anything. I don't already have it planned to spend it. She said, we just got the light bill and the water bill and whatever, and said, that don't take it all. But she says, when I was young, I had it all spent before I ever got it in my hand. And that seems to be the pattern. Do I have self-control? Can I be spiritual? Can I be like God wants me to? 
because I have self-control. I'm going to tell you a story. This happened one time, a long time ago in a church. I don't believe anybody would know, so I can say this. There was a rich man going to church. This is a true story. And he and his wife both were very wealthy and they had a lot of money. And she had bought her husband a $10,000 diamond ring. Now back in the 70s, a $10,000 diamond ring, that's a big one. That's a big one. You can notice it from the back end of most churches. And some people came to me. Well, they didn't come to me for that purpose, but they were just discussing about their their Sunday school teacher. And without thinking about it, while he was teaching, he'd stand there and spin that $10,000 diamond ring on his finger. Well, now you're watching me, and I'm standing up here, and if I was spending spending a $10,000 diamond ring on my finger, you would certainly notice it. Now, after a bit, you'd probably get resentful about it, huh? Because most of them, the people in his class were just regular, ordinary, poor folks who were just making from check to check, you know. And he's up there spending, and he, somebody asked him, and he told them all. Everybody in his class knew about that $10,000 that his wife spent for that ring. And I went to him, and I said, Brother, I'm going to tell you something. There's something going on that you probably don't think about that I believe is hurting your ministry with the people you're trying to teach the things of God. He said, what is that? And I told him. He said, I didn't realize that. I can't imagine somebody that would withhold me. I'm just telling you, that's just human nature. That's the way folks are. If you flash something real fancy, real expensive, something they can't have in front of them, a lot of them go to wanting those things. And they get it on their mind. And then the very important parts of things that you're trying to teach don't get across to them. And he said, well, I'll take it off. I said, well, I'm not telling you to. I'm just telling you that's the situation. So somebody was talking about it later, and I asked him, I said, well, did the man take his ring off? He said, sure did. He did for two Sundays. But it's been back on there ever since. That, to me, in a spiritual setting, is showing how that we can hurt those people that we're trying to have an influence on for Jesus Christ by things that we might flaunt in front of them. The best reason in the world to be so careful about things that we want that impress other people. Jesus said, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So there's real value in being humble about who you are and what you got 
and what you show off to other people. I remember telling the preacher, Jot Young up here that had the garden. It was his son that had that worked the garden after Jot was dead. And he preached down in Maplesville. And he came to me and told me, he said, Mr. Joe, you need to, y'all need to pave that parking lot behind your church. I said, why is that? Well, we had to spend a lot of money paving our, my parking lot down there because the women folks wear them long spiked heels and it tears the heels up walking in that gravel. And I said, I don't think any of our women folks wear them six-inch spiked heels. I don't believe they do. I don't believe that gravel will tear up their heel. I said, you ought to teach your folks not to try to outdo each other at church with all the fancy clothes they're wearing. Must Joe, you know these women. They ain't gonna, they're not going to dress down because you got gravel in your parking lot. They're going to make you spend money to put... Some, some, some asphalt back there. I said, well, i tell you what. I'll put it before God to see whether or not we need to asphalt our parking lot. But I really don't. It's been a long time since I've seen anybody wear heels like that to our church. He said, well, our women like to show off to each other. So that was, you know, that's, that's something that's just built into some of us. But i tell you this. It has a place with God. It really does. And God wants us to be as humble as we can be. Because he can take humbleness on our part and help spread his word to other people. Let's pray. Father, tune our minds to things that we might be, to things that we might say, to things that we might do that would offend someone, that we would like to think that we might have some spiritual influence over. Teach us, Lord, to be aware of those things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.